Hey, everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. This is Mark. How you feeling, Mark? Uh, I feel pretty good. I feel like an Escher painting this morning. How you feel? Ooh, uh, I feel like Wimpy from Popeye on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> what would that I'm be? I'm back like, from uh, traveling to the East Coast, and my eating with my family is like insane. You know, when you it, I, I actually feel like I've realized some like unhealthy eating patterns, like spending like a significant amount of time with my family. Yeah, that that's a that's a thing, definitely. <laughs> if it's there, you know, because if you grocery, you know, you buy your own food you can control right. that stuff but no, once yeah. you're it was like a what? house of eight people which was weird to be around in the corn in the pandemic anyway and then it was like just a snack fest and also like lots of commentary i kind of like blew up on my mom once because it was like there's too much commentary like no matter yeah. what you eat it's like like i'm eating dinner and they're like you're not hungry because you had pizza as a snack and i'm like shut stop like what? <laughs> It's, this is so invasive like can you just like yeah moms are always prepared with the snacks and stuff uh i've been trying to gain weight so i've been eating like crazy oh isn't that this is like one of those classic like boohoo for you mark yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. hey man every, it's everyone has awful. their own struggles everyone yeah has their own struggles. um so you told me I know nothing. You know everything. You told me about an intro that I don't need to prepare for. Yeah, I got a good one. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. I thought, you know, we've been doing this podcast for how long now? This is sixty-two episode 62. Yeah, but time-wise. Time-wise. Like it's early, over a year. I think we started late 2018, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're we, almost to two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, okay, since it's been well, I know, I figured it's been well over a year mm -hmm. since we did one of our segments, uh, Celebrity Reading, where we discovered uh, Arthur, Art Garfunkel's famous library and his website where he tracks every, he's tracked everything he's read since the 60s. The King Reader, which honestly oh, yeah. we need to do. Yeah, we because, should really. <laughs> because I'm every track already. Every episode, I like some. I sometimes go back into you know our social accounts of the stuff that we've released, and I'm like, have I talked about this book? I did that for this. <laughs> I did that for this week, and you know we need a better. We need an Art Garfunkel webmaster to bring it all together for us. Yeah, we really do. And then like a uh, deep dive into trying to remember when we read what when we were like right. kids, I guess. No oh, god. But, you know, I figured of all people, you'd think 2020, we, you know, we could revisit, see what he's been reading since then. Yeah. Like, I, of all people, maybe he might be the kind of person who's been in his library just drinking tea, devouring books, not right. really changing too much about his life <laughs> with, like, what's yeah, going but, on in the world. Well, he or maybe Art, blissfully unaware. Yeah, Art Garfunkel is such a prolific reader i want to see if he has also suffered because we talked to early on where it was like the first episode of the pandemic was like dude we're gonna read so much this <laughs> is gonna be sick and then like we you know it yeah. might have even dropped off which is what an opportunity yeah. that's how it started yeah and it's like oh man <laughs> i gotta you tell me i gotta read yeah now i have to scrub my groceries and yeah read? so i would you know 
I wasn't expecting it to be anything more than just a list of a bunch of books. And I'm going to ask you to, to please not look it up right now. Yes, I um, There's also a bit of mystery involved mm -hmm. in this. You know, when we first first brought this subject up, uh, analyzed all this, art was up to 1,281 books. Mm -hmm. uh, the last one being The Story of a Shipwrecked Sailor by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm -hmm. So since we have, you know, since we did that segment, there have been 18 more books added to the list. Okay. Which brings the total up to the cliffhanger of 1299. Interesting. But the weird thing, the mystery is that he did he any of the latest ones, he hasn't listed the month that he finished them, and I can't tell if he has uploaded his list for 2020 yet mm. it's really they kind of it's mysterious when you look at it we can't really track his pace maybe in the same fashion you know art garfunkel just he, i think he represents all aspects of life and in the same fashion he, that we have all lost a sense of time he has lost a sense of time i think He's so too not yeah. sure not sure what month it is what day it is <laughs> he's and just he's, wandering his library yeah all he knows is there a, maybe something will like happen when he gets to 1300 you know like the mayan calendar and yeah i know is he avoiding it yeah um so okay you you brought up a good point there and but okay here's the here's the really really weird part though mm. the last book the last book that he's read, number 1299, was the one that I covered this week. And I did not mean for it to line up like that. Ooh, spooky. So I can't tell you what it is. We'll cover it more later. Okay, but anyways. That's why, that's why I'm not allowed to look it up. Exactly, exactly. So like you kind of just touched upon, uh, and I forget what episode it is, but maybe we can link it or, you know, cut some audio from it and put it on Twitter or something for people to, to hear. But what we talked about last time was being able to track arts reading throughout significant moments in history. Like, right. like we look because at 9-11 and stuff. Yeah. To see what he's reading during 9-11 or whatever, to see if it's escapism or, you know, he's going into serious mode. Like I'm, a, I'm like really if I, involved if I recall, in politics. If I recall, he does go into serious mode. Like after 9-11, he starts reading books about like, what is war? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was a cool like uh, up and down where he read Harry Potter for the first time, like right after 9-11 and was like, nah, I can't. <laughs> I, I got to stay serious. And then, you know, reading, yeah, about like Iraq and stuff. Maybe but, he was just on the tail end of Harry Potter right when 9-11 happened. So he was like, okay, okay, I got to finish this and then I'll start. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> so all I can do is assume that his reading list is up to date and that what I'm seeing is 2020. Uh, but I don't can't really confirm that. We'll have to you know check in on him periodically. Maybe at the end of the year, he'll upload some stuff. But so 2020 has been pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to read you the list of the last 18 books to okay. see if we can unlock this pattern here. Mm -hmm. And obviously not the last one. And and what is the last, because um, you said, you know, like the timestamp is now gone. 
what yeah. is the timestamp of like the last timestamp that he did? Is it like August 2018? So like basically Ooh. when we started looking into this, I think I think this segment was January 2019 when we. I when think we Art heard. I think Art Garfunkel tuned in and heard our episode, <laughs> and he was like, "These kids know too much about my yeah. <laughs> my thought patterns." I'm gonna start stop t- time stamping these. I know I made graphs and stuff. <laughs> uh, so here's here's the here here's just the titles. I'm not even because a lot of them were books I've never heard of, but just right. you can tell a lot by the title. Yeah. Here we go, and just think of it in the scope of 2019, 2020, and the craziness that's been going on. Modern ethics and 77 arguments. Okay. In her own words. Mm-hmm. Fear. Yeah. All the light we cannot see. Okay, I know that book. How to think. How to think, okay. The road. Okay, yeah. Killing the SS. Jesus. The true flag. Oh my God. Healing the soul of America. This is a totally 2020. The disordered mind. (laughs) A walk in the woods. Okay. No is not enough. Ooh. Duel with the devil. Mm-hmm. Team of vipers. Whoa. Call sign chaos. Call sign chaos. <laughs> there's no denying that this is 2020. <laughs> it has to be, right? And then, of course, the last one, which I will talk about in roughly 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, I see a pattern for sure. <laughs> I see a pattern. It's that it's like interesting that like think about as much as we as much reading as we wanted to get done in 2020. Think about how many more people are out there. Like that sounded like, you know that you know those guys that uh, Agent Mulder knows in X Files, where it's like the guys who like live in a trailer and they like are his like source of tracking people down and like you know. It sounds like Art Garfunkel is like in that trailer, like smoking cigarettes and <laughs> reading like the chaotic mind. What's going on? Yeah, That's I know really he's good. a he's some sort of truther. I don't know what, but he's truthing something. He's truthing himself. Um, yeah. All the light we cannot see is like a famous thing in her own words isn't that like a that's, that's like ruth bader ginsburg oh that's ruth bader ginsburg okay yeah we just watched that documentary about the notorious rbg yeah yeah that's from 2018 mm. so that's the only clue i have is that um some of these books were published in 2019 i don't see any 2020s uh, here yeah some of those were definitely super some of those are like recent you know, political books. Yeah. Yeah. Healing the soul of America. That was uh, Marianne Williamson. One of the people who was uh, running last year. This guy is trying to, he's trying to stay on top of things. Yeah. I think that's what art does. It's like major significant events. And then he's like, he, he, he turns to the long forms. Yeah. He's really good at like nonfiction fiction classics he's like a juggler for sure i wish i was a better juggler i know we could all learn from him yeah i nonfiction. get the fuck out of here <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be <laughs> i'm gonna be checking this list more often now though because i'm just if this is only 2019 and we're waiting for the 2020 list to drop right 
I'm, I want to see like, you know, either <laughs> two books added or like 200 books added. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's going to be an in-between an average year. I think this you is going to be... be 1983 all over again, which was, I think, the year that he read like 75 books or something. Oh my God. <laughs> we should look out for what was happening in the uh, career of, um, you know, his music career during 83 it's like did something happen where it was like he was dropped from his label or something oh yeah it could have been <laughs> something significant or or like maybe his I, medical history what yeah, if he like broke yeah, his leg history. or something or i always find uh i always tell people if there's like an author or a filmmaker or someone who you admire creatively and they're career changes significantly or something you know weird happens like that look up if they got divorced Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of like uh, like filmmakers and stuff like uh, I'm pretty sure George Lucas is like the classic example of people are like, what the hell? Like the prequels are so weird. And it's like his it was like something like he got divorced in between like Jedi and like the <laughs> prequels. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Update. Mm hmm. Um, on art good old art you could be the ultimate art Gar garfunkel fan if you read like all 1300 books and then you like, oh try to meet him at a party or something <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of creepy i think you might freak him out yeah number 763 <laughs> so good so good uh, yeah i don't know if i want to do that but i will keep up with what he's what he's yeah. up to Art, if you're listening, which we know you are, please drop your 2020 list or at least clarify. Come on. Yeah. What if we see like, you know, let's say right after the election, he starts reading shit like how to th overthrow the U.S. government. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The anarchist cookbook. <laughs> yeah, the anarchist cookbook. He starts <laughs> reading like books about like militias and the, and yeah. the Second Amendment or whatever. <laughs> well, I guess we can... We can call in some alarms on our Garfunkel. Yeah. Although something tells me that would be one of those, uh, you know how after a tragedy happens, it's always like the FBI got an anonymous tip six months earlier, but no one believed that Art Garfunkel would kidnap <laughs> kidnap a senator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, and I mean, you, I'm, there, and uh, you'll you'll see this um, even there'll be even more added to the weight of what we just talked about when I tell you what book i just read right correct yeah the last one okay interesting that's really interesting that it intersected yeah um all right so i will go first this week episode 62 mine's not going to be too involved but it does it does kind of uh circle back to that whole story remember i told you i was on the east coast i actually traveled during coronavirus it was crazy we wore masks and goggles in the airport it was so psycho um but when I was back home, we briefly spoke about how I f used the United States Postal Service function of media mail yeah. to mail myself up of my own books. It's about 50 pounds, probably more, maybe even 60 pounds. <laughs> and my books have arrived. You oh, okay. They survived, which is good. The box was like, you know how when you ship huge boxes, it just like gets effed up beyond belief. Yeah, yeah. So 
But the books inside were safe, so it was basically just a solid block of material. Books so are tough. No, nothing tough. could really happen to it. You just can't get them wet, otherwise. Yeah. Or yeah, set them on fire. <laughs> I don't think not. those are the two things, the elements. Yeah. <laughs> they are they are uh, vulnerable to the elements. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically, I reached back in time, getting all these books back for myself, and I pulled out a really interesting little book that I think I've told you about before. I know I've recommended it to a few friends, and... Um, I, I don't have a ton of stuff to say about it, but I do have an interesting discovery of uh, like a journey of discovery of how I, you know, picked up and read this book. Do you remember me telling you about the book called The Buzzing by Jim Nipfel? No. OK. I don't think so. So this is a book from 2003, and I'll tell you a little bit about Jim Nipfel, K-N-I-P-F-E-L. Um, the reason why I even know that Jim Nipfel exists is because one of my, let's say, more enthusiastic slash psychotic college professors is a good friend of his. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you ever kept in touch with any of your college professors, but I have kept in touch with one or two of them. And, um, you know, I had one professor who shall not be named by name in the podcast because i think that that would send him over the edge yeah but that's this good policy is, this is the type of guy if i could frame him without naming him this is the type of guy first of all all of he teaches like 16 classes at my school and all of them are the same curriculum just under different names <laughs> yeah it's so him it's yeah I took, yeah it's just him I took East Asian literature with him, and then I also took a separate class about something completely different, like some film studies thing. And it was like we literally read like three of the same books. It all converges. Yeah. It all converges. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not to say, I might have mentioned him on the podcast before, maybe early days, because I know about Mishima because of him. Uh, I know about a lot of things because of him. But, you know, suffice to say, he's a little bit over the edge he's the type of person who has a you know a 1950s uh you know uh female noir film star as his facebook profile picture and like a fake name gotcha because, because he like uses facebook to like that tells me a lot actually yeah, post he like he it's usually like a female name and he uses facebook to like post on like groups about like israel versus palestine and stuff <laughs> he's oh like he's deep he's deep but anyway he told us about his friend jim nipful who is a really interesting guy and he is the author of this book called the buzzing but probably one of his what he's more famous for is an ongoing um uh article that he wrote i think in the philadelphia weekly and then it switched over to being part of a, a small newspaper called the new york press and this guy, Jim Nipfel, he's born in 1965. Uh, he moves all over the country. Well, not really all over, but a few places in some flyover states because his uh, dad was in the Air Force. And um, he he's like a newspaper writer, you know, back in like the days of maybe that slowly dying, like in the 80s and stuff like yeah. that. Not really, not really in the 80s. It wasn't dying, but it was still like a get niche kind of thing and he wrote this column called slack jaw 
Um, and I think he just, it was basically just like a column of like whatever the mood struck him. But he eventually goes on to, and I literally just put it in my Amazon cart because it seems almost more interesting than uh, the novel I'm going to talk about this week. But this book, Slackjaw, that he is popular for is a memoir of his life about, and it's a collection of some of his articles and in-between writings that he did for the publishing of the book. And it's about how he is from a young age diagnosed with a thing that he has a disease where he's slowly going blind. Okay. Which is interesting. O- ocular degeneration. Yeah. He's got something called like, you know, the technical macular name. degeneration. I don't know. I don't even know, <laughs> but he's got a genetic disease called retinitis pigmentosa. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, he's like going blind and that's actually how I knew him from my, my crazy psychotic professor. Also, you know, I think he just brought up in a lecture, like my friend, Jim Nitfall, I help him at his apartment because he's going blind, you know, just these crazy things. So, um, yeah. So uh, eventually, you know, I learned that this guy, Jim Nitfall, that like that this man, this bearded man at the front of the class was screaming about is he wrote a book called The Buzzing. And it's a really cool little book. And what's interesting is, you know, my path of discovery to Jim Nitfall is very roundabout, but I guarantee you, if you saw one of his books in the, you know, in the Goodwill bin, you your eyes would also be drawn because my edition of The Buzzing has a blurb on the front cover by none other than Thomas Pinchon. Wow. And uh, I read some stuff online about how it's possible. So Pynchon is a fan is a fan of his memoir, Slackjaw. And then he's also a fan of this book called The Buzzing, which I would actually say is slightly Pynchon-y. And I will read a few things for you that will prove that. I read so that a few gives th- you what? Yeah. Three degrees of separation. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, now that I've now remembered that Pynchon has uh praise Nitful. it's like i kind of maybe need to track down my psychotic professor and try to go on a manhunt yeah um, but i guess we could also just respect pinchon's choices mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um but yeah, okay, so Thomas Pynchon says on the cover of The Buzzing, Mr. Niffle brings to fiction the welcome gifts which distinguish his previous books, the authenticity, the narrative exuberance, the integrity of his cheerfully undiluted American voice. So that's quite high praise. And I guess, yeah, what he's saying there, uh, brings to fiction the welcome gifts which distinguish his previous books, means that, you know, he published this Slackjaw memoir that I think he's kind of like more known for. And a lot of people seem to play, praise Slackjaw more than they do the buzzing. The, the reviews, both on Goodreads and in the general public, are that the buzzing is sort of meh. I don't really think it was like bad, but it was definitely like a little, well, first of all, it's a great book to read because it's 250 pages, but you can definitely read it in like a weekend or something. Uh, I'll read you the blurb from the blurb from the back and you could see how maybe he's sort of like a, you could see how maybe Pynchon could like write this book in his later days, like yeah. in the inherent by state and stuff. I also read online that it, I'm not, I haven't confirmed this fact, but I have read online, like in Goodreads reviews and stuff. People were saying that Pynchon's wife is his literary agent. So that might have something to do with his books being elevated to that quotable status. But hey, if your book gets in front of Pynchon, you're doing something right. 
so here's the back cover of the book, which I usually suggest you not to read, but this doesn't give way too much. Meet Roscoe Barragon, crack reporter at a major metropolitan newspaper. Barragon covers what is affectionately called the kook beat. Offbeat stories, local color, and all that. Everything from abductions, a man who claims he's been kidnapped by the state of Alaska, to a woman who is convinced that aliens have stolen all her plumbing fixtures. Could it be that Barragon is having one too many when he goes home at night and unwinds with one of his dozens of videos of grade B Japanese horror films? Or is he on the story of a lifetime, something so incredibly weird that it just might be true? In his first novel, the acclaimed author of Slackjaw and columnist for the New York Press has written a wildly original and scathingly funny novel about the people who live outside the increasingly impenetrable facade of the so-called real world and the dark paranoia that lies just beneath its glittering surface. The buzzing marks the debut of a distinctive new American voice in fiction. So... Every back of a book has a bit of a fluff, right? I mean, like the <laughs> the uh, the general public is like, yeah, this book is like decent, but you know, the back <laughs> is like, he's gonna change the world. But um, exactly, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. So you could hear in there like one of the main like things that he's on is like, and it's like that classic set. It's like the whole Chinatown like classic setup of like he's a gumshoe and people call his office, you know. But I think that Nymphly Nymphal is like blissfully aware of that. Like he's not telling you like I've got a new character for you. <laughs> he's like <laughs> he's like you know combining. He's combining his small town newspaper experience into something that is like comfortably fictional. You know that like whole gumshoe aesthetic kind of thing. And another cool thing about this book that, and it's cool in the cover, I should post the cover on Twitter, is that um, I think also my professor mentioned this to us of like how like this book is cool. There's a lot of discussion in this book of um, the Japanese kaiju movies. Do you know what I mean when I say kaiju? Uh, Godzilla. Godzilla, yeah. Godzilla and Rodan. And apparently like, even there was named... Gamora. Yeah, Gamora, yeah, and there's uh, the guy's name, the main character, Roscoe Barragon. I think Barragon is also a kaiju, like one of like the like offshoots from Godzilla. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of discussion of that in there, which is cool. I love little things like that, where it's like this author definitely like loves, you know, that subgenre of films. And then, you know, he kind of gives you that flavor with just like also weaved into the storyline. And, uh, you know, like, here's a paragraph that I just found flipping through the book, and it's on page 27. And it's like, in the middle of this story of, you know, uh, you know, Roscoe Barragon, the gumshoe, it's like he drops paragraphs like this, where he's where it's just basically like a straight history, like, War of the Gargantuas has was had been released in 1966 by Toho Company LTD, ostensibly as the sequel to the deceptively titled Frankenstein Conquers the World. Since the mid-50s, while Japan was still rebuilding after the war, Toho was the production outfit responsible for giving the world Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, King Ghidorah, Gamera, Gamera, Gamera that's what you just said, yeah. most every giant radioactive Japanese monster you can name. You think Japanese monster movies, or in Japanese, kaiju, you think Toho. The, gar the gargantuas in question here were two enormous ape-like creatures, one brown, one green, who, as the title implied, beat the crap out of each other. Good, he thought. This one always cheers me up, especially that nightclub scene. He always hummed along with the song. So it's, like, kind of cool. Like, you're reading this, like, thing, and then you get, like, history about, like, 
kaiju movies and stuff. Um, <laughs> and another thing that I really liked about the buzzing that I haven't really seen people talk about in reviews and stuff is I read this book when I was a young lad living in New York City. And it's a very New York style book where it's like you can tell this guy lives in New York and the people and the characters and like whatever everything that happens to the like detective slash main character is very like New York-y. Yeah. Um, you know, which isn't something easy to capture. I've definitely read books before where it's like the author like talks about New York and it's like, okay, you know, like that's like the magazine version, not like the cool version, you know, living the experience there. So I thought that the buzzing was cool in that way. And it's also just a fun book. Like, you know, you, you don't have to take life too seriously. And it's just like there's this cool book that like combines like Pynchon-esque sort of like paranoia elements. Obviously, it's like one of those books where it's like he's investigating it and it starts to make the connections and it's going all the way to the top. You know, <laughs> like, I love uh, that. Yeah. So and it's cool. I mean, it's just a cool book. The cover is really cool. Um, you know, recommended by Pynchon. How could you go wrong? So the buzzing by Jim Nipfel. I did find a one star review online. And what's interesting is that I could actually I could actually almost it's one of those things where you could agree with the one star review, except every like I wouldn't give it one star. So this guy Novak says on Goodreads, after reading all three of his fantastically caustic memoirs, this was a real disappointment in all aspects. Quite forgettable. In fact, I'm not sure I ever knew what it was about. The thing that I can get down with is that I have forgotten, like, definitely a majority of this book, um, which might mean, oh, it's forgettable or whatever. But I also read it several years ago and I could definitely still recommend it. It's definitely one of the I've given it to friends. I've been like, read the buzzing. It's like cool. Um, so even though I maybe could be a little forgettable, um, my journey into why I have this book and also just everything around it thought it was worth talking about what is the significance of the title the buzzing um you know what this book is too forgettable <laughs> because i don't <laughs> i don't really know what the buzzing means is I it bees really is it like buzzing like um you know chatter i don't, I don't know. know i don't really i really don't know what the buzz it's an means. intriguing title for me i have something yeah, that might be enough with, to get me to pick it up that might that have something to do with the kaiju thing too um but yeah I, i'm not really sure what the buzzing means but it is yeah it's good it's definitely worth it nice and my edition smells fantastic it's one of those <laughs> old used books that smells so good yeah it's got those bitter notes all right so tell tell me tell me about the most recent book that art garfunkel has deigned to tell us that he's read. okay the last one on the list, twelve ninety nine, the one that you know sent him off the edge, I guess, mm-hmm. um, on record. <laughs> Hopefully, not the last of his books. Hopefully. It was Margaret Atwood's *The Handmaid's Tale*. Oh, okay. Finally, picked this one up. Nice. Uh, so, have you you have you read this, or do you know someone who's read it, or maybe have you watched the TV show? Uh, my wife is a huge fan of the TV show. I I like. I think I've read it, but it's like one of those things where I, you know, maybe it didn't 
if it if it didn't stick with me and people love it so much, I'm like thinking like maybe did I? I don't think you've read it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I can't say like oh I forgot about that book because I think it sticks with you, right? Yeah, definitely. I like I it's a huge, obviously a huge cultural phenomenon, and you know, it's exactly why I wanted to pick it up. It was published in 1985. It right. caught had a lot of accolades and um, praise back then, and then it had a revival when the TV series came out in 2017, the Hulu series mm-hmm. been on three seasons now. Uh, you know, I've been definitely out of touch with the recent popular or like the big books that are talked about a lot. And I wanted to pick one up and this one seemed to me like a really popular one that also had some substance to it. And it absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I I think it's it, it was brilliant. You know, it deserves all the praise it got, given new life through the prestige TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's a dystopian novel, mm-hmm. but instead of just like external factors like nuclear war or whatever driving the downfall of humanity, it's more the extreme ends of human nature. You know, like religious fanaticism and enforced morals that drive things. Mm-hmm. So obviously, yeah. more more speculative fiction than science fiction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like even though if, even if you read it or not, like I feel like most people kind of know what it's about just because it is that popular now. And because I yeah, it's, it's like one of those books that has become a metaphor. Like yeah. you, you can hear that in normal life. Like it's like yeah. a handmade tale. Exactly. And I guess that was modeled after uh, Chaucer's uh, Canterbury Tales, how, how each kind of section of that book was like, you know, the, the cobbler's mm-hmm. tale or whatever. So um, I couldn't really think, I like to compare things to other things. I couldn't think of any real other work of fiction to compare this book to. Uh, it's a and strong after, start to begin with. Yeah. And after a long while, the, the, I came up with one thing. The only thing I could think of was, and you know, sometimes it's never really in terms of, substance it's more in like the feeling it gave me and what i came up with was the 1967 short story i have no mouth and i must scream by harlan ellison have you read that no that i recommend checking out because it's extremely short um and you know you can read it in 15 minutes (laughs) uh but i thought of that one just because of the way that they both describe circumstances that are infinitely fucked. (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, you know, Ellison, I like Ellison. Um, I also like uh, Philip K. Dick. Those two, I kind of pair together somewhat. And I think those are, I think they're, they're, they're um, more of idea guys for me, in my opinion, the ideas are awesome. Not so much the execution, you know, I feel Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's lacking, but, Margaret Atwood, I think, nailed both of those, um, you know, the idea and the execution and The Handmaid's Tale. It's, it's really good. Uh, so the the basic plot, you know, most people kind of are aware of this, but it's that maybe not the finer points. So I can go into a little bit of that is, you know, that the U.S. is completely overthrown. Uh, it's really rapidly turned into the Republic of Gilead mm-hmm. uh, after the president most of congress and government is killed and the constitution's thrown out the door society is violently reorganized and 
above all in the book, you know, women's rights are destroyed to the point where they're not allowed to read or write or own any property or really have any control over their own reproductive functions. Uh, and so it is a dystopian thing. It's, it's interesting that it has ties to the present. It's not like, you know, dystopia, like everything is wiped away. Everyone, the people in the book still have memories of when things were normal. Mm -hmm. um, but what happens is basically the fertility rates become so low due to the pollution and human disease and radiation and stuff that the, the few fertile women that are left, which are the handmaids, you know, they're considered property and, you know, they can only guarantee their safety if they're lucky enough to bear a healthy child. Otherwise they're cast off to, uh, like the outskirts mm -hmm. where, you know, it's really dire circumstances. Mm-hmm. So the narrator here is named of of Fred, Alfred, and it, you don't understand what's going on the first time you see it, and then it makes sense. It's not her real name; it means belonging to Fred. And obviously, I mean, people who have seen the show would know that right away. But mm -hmm. and so she's the narrator here, and one of the recurring lines of the story is she's telling us, "I'm recording this for history, for you know, for the future to to know what's going on." she's like i i don't want to tell this story and that line is repeated often like i don't want to be telling this i don't mm -hmm. want to be recording this and especially that happens a lot after something particularly horrible happens and so i've read a lot of reviews from others in preparation for this to kind of get a feel for what this book means to people kind of um you know to get especially to get a, a woman's perspective on you know, their feelings after reading this book. Mm -hmm. and like the main takeaway that I got is that it's a very strong reminder that civil rights are very hard to win, but very easy to lose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, given... Yeah, I mean, it's like when you were describing it in the beginning, obviously like this dystopian future, sort of like women's like, you know, right to own property and everything like that. And it's like, but really like, you know, there there have been times that people alive today remember where it's like it probably wasn't that far off like 100 yeah. 200 years ago is like there were times where it was like you can't vote you can't own anything well i mean in and also it's not that far off in either direction you know mm -hmm. past or future mm -hmm. to try and project like the way that things are going just a lot of disturbing stuff happening in the world right now it's easy to draw comparisons to many of the book's events and you know real events of the past and present uh definitely recommend that a lot of people would read this book i think it's you know disturbing in a in a good way as far as uh a, a cautionary tale because yeah if you have a, a moral compass at all <laughs> you, you sh should not be <laughs> um yeah you should be on the right side of, of history um and yeah, the the it's a it's a very clever take on on dystopian writing too. I've read a lot of dystopian novels. I've covered like a couple of them in this on this podcast. I think like at least one. I can think no, a couple. I th think dystopian novels for me have almost like a new context in 2020 because it's like what 
I think I've talked before about how I was like sick of dystopian novels. Like it's the future and everything sucks. Yeah. You know, like that's definitely, it, it turns me off a little bit, but then also I've noticed too, like, uh, it's like a theme that people weren't really thinking about. Like the other day I was playing a video game, uh, like a really old video game. And it was like, oh, there's like a, you know, a plague in the city and we like can't leave like the city. And I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> like it changes, <laughs> changes everything. Like, I think even now, like dystopian is more like, like sits at home, you know, before it was yeah. like, zombie apocalypse like what would happen blah 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 but now it's sort of like oh i actually do know the feeling of like almost like it's like if you read a historical novel about a siege or something like that where they like can't like do anything or go anywhere and it's like yeah you, you haven't known that feeling until now wait what but what game are you playing you can't say that what, oh i was there? playing neverwinter nights <laughs> oh <laughs> cool. which is like super old it's yeah yeah 2000 one <laughs> um but yeah the the way that this book goes about you know bringing about the uh the change in the world is really clever really well written awesome attention to little details that you kind of pick up along the way and so the way it happens like you don't find out you know i feel like a good dystopian novel kind of throws you into the world and then like halfway through the book it'll be like okay i'll finally tell you like how some of this happened but not you know not everything but give you more of an idea and that's what this book does it tells you like okay just all of a sudden you know things started things changed really rapidly mm. and uh, I'll, I'll read a, a passage here that kind of talks about that a little bit but all of a sudden you know the main character uh she shows up to work and her the boss like who or whoever this guy kind of rounds up all the women and is like very nervously like well i have to let you all go and i guess there's there's eight people with machine guns outside his door he's like i only have a few minutes and you know i can't mm -hmm. explain anything and all of a sudden their uh credit cards don't work mm -hmm. and you know everything is everything is gone and, you know, they're, it limits what they can even do. You know, they can't leave the country and other stuff. And it's, it's it, that, that section was really scary. Um, super disturbing. And so I want to read this thing really quick. Just one of the highlights I made it. Cause I read this on uh, ebook. <clears throat> uh, is that how we lived then? But we lived as usual. Everyone does most of the time. Whatever is going on is as usual. Even this is as usual now. We lived as usual by ignoring. Ignoring isn't the same as ignorance. You have to work at it. Nothing changes instantaneously. In a gradually heating bathtub, you'd be boiled to death before you knew it. There were stories in the newspapers, of course. Corpses in ditches or the woods, bludgeoned to death or mutilated, interfered with, as they used to say but they were about other women and the men who did such things were other men. None of them were the men we knew. The newspaper stories were like dreams to us, bad dreams dreamt by others. How awful we would say, and they were, but they were awful without being believable. They were too melodramatic. They had a dimension that was not the dimension of our lives. We were the people who were not in the papers. We lived in the blank white spaces at the edge of print. 
It gave us more freedom. We lived in the gaps between the stories. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And there's so many sections like that where it's, you know, it's you, you read it and you think about the present day and any, yeah, you that's know, crazy. It's, it's really like prescient and stuff. Yeah. I mean, is it though? Oh, like yeah. what's interesting is that, is it like prescient? Cause it's like, wow, that was written. You know, what is it? The eighties is like 85. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's like, prescient then too. <laughs> like I know it's, not, but like, it's predicting anything, you know, it's like one of those weird things where it's like sad. Cause it's like probably like, hasn't changed that much. It's like, that what you know when i hear that it's like that same emotion of you know every like woman you know ha has like some story of like being like harassed you don't like really know it until you're until you're in like some you know intimate setting or something where it's like they tell you like some like fucked up shit that you would not expect and then it's like yeah like that that's the same stuff that you just said, where it's like, where are these people? You know, like you hear people being like, especially like living in New York, there's a lot of like catcalling, like horrible, mm. like catcalling and stuff. And you just think to yourself, like, like, who are these people? Like, I've never known, like, if any of my friends like do that or like, I don't think that they do and like whatever. And then it's like, it's so crazy, like how, yeah, they, it's it's probably always been a thing. Like you read these things and it's like, well, seems like other people suck. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just not on your your doorstep. You know what's happening, mm -hmm. and um, but yeah, the, there's there's so much of that when you're reading this book that it you know I can see this book sticking with people for a a long long time. You know, I could I could see the lasting effect of this book, and I haven't you know been given a chance yet because I finished it yesterday. But <laughs> we, we will see. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that it will. Um, and there's like a new one, right? There isn't it like apparently, yeah. There's seeing. there's a sequel that came out a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. I think, like after the show became big. Uh, so I I haven't heard too much about that one yet, but curious. I wonder if it's similar to I don't know which direction the show is going either. Like I'd have to to watch the show. I am I mean I am like interested in watching the show now. Hmm. But yeah, so it rules. I recommend it to pretty much anyone. And now for my one star review. Yeah, who has a one star? Yeah. <laughs> User Polypicu or something, something like that. Uh, you know, just real nitpicky right here. I guess Atwood doesn't believe in quotation marks. I don't think I've ever come across a novel yet in which there is no distinction between the narrator and the character. It took me quite a while to get used to that type of style of writing. I had to go back and reread sentences again and again, which doesn't really lend itself to a relaxing reading experience, and it slowed me down quite a bit. And I'm paraphrasing here. Halfway through the book, I stopped and assessed what I had gotten from it so far. Still nothing. I'm extremely disappointed. I thought this was going to be one of the good ones. Update. I'm currently watching The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, and it's one of the best shows I've ever watched, aside oh, from Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right stick to cv shows pal <laughs> isn't that amazing that is amazing <laughs> <laughs> update best show ever yeah <laughs> one star book five star show nice i mean it's funny how you know like <laughs> this isn't exactly relaxing <laughs> 
I'm supposed to be reading about the subjugation of women. I know. Incredible. I, I only read lying down right. on like a hammock and it just didn't work for me. I mean, I have shared my rage about the... Does it have like Cormac McCarthy style, like no punctuation? Kind of no, no, not like that. I mean, I had no problem following along with it. You know, he said, they said, she said, it was not hard to tell. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, just they didn't, you know, she didn't use quotation marks, but it's their page breaks, you know, it's not really, mm. or line breaks or whatever. Um, not a valid criticism. Not a valid, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So that was the Handmaid's Tale, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, definitely check it out. And I don't think I'd really need to tell people that it's extremely popular. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but maybe we're at a point where that hype has faded a little bit. So I'm, I'm giving you the reminder that it's still worth the hype. Nice. So thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of SBR Shitty Book Reports can find us every sunday or every so often on spotify soundcloud stitcher itunes instagram and twitter at sbr the podcast you can also email us sbr the podcast no spaces at gmail.com uh send us your reading lists um your comments suggestions corrections however many uh degrees of separation you are from thomas pynchon if you can beat <laughs> trevor's three let we'll us know. <laughs> <laughs> and see you guys next time.